Let's take a moment and pray um, as we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we've already, um, in the song that we just sang, we've already invited you to speak. And we've confessed our faith that when you speak, all kinds of things will happen. Um, we, will be, we will be changed into your likeness. We will become fruitful. Your church will be built and the world will be changed. Um, but it all comes from you speaking words of life. Your word is generative. It creates life. It creates transformation. It makes us new. It makes us whole. Um, it changes us and then it changes the world. Um, and so we want to pray again. Lord, even now as we open up Mark's gospel, would you speak to us and would your word do that miraculous transforming work in our lives and would it send out ripples from this place into our neighborhood and our community and the places where we live. Um, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we're going to read um, from Mark chapter 10. We're back in Mark's gospel, letting it lead us towards Easter. Um, let me just say, if you don't have a Mark's Gospel, we gave out a bunch of these last autumn. If you don't have one, uh, we still have plenty left, so I'm going to leave some here, and you can come and grab one um, later on. We'd love you to have your Mark's Gospel and carry it around with you and take it to work and uh, read it uh, in the moments that you get as you go about um, your life. Uh, but we're going to read, let's, let's jump right in, and we're going to read in Mark chapter 10. Um, letting Mark lead us towards the cross, uh, towards Easter. Uh, Mark chapter 10. Um, I have no power at the minute in my clicker. Can we? There we go. Well, I'm not working, so I'm not. It is on. Thank you for checking, Emily. <laughs> it's, it is worth checking. Still not working. I might need you to move, move me on, Emily. Um, let's, let's read together. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Just going to pause there for a second, if we can stay on that one for a second. Um, I'm not going not to be focusing on, on those verses, but I just want to um, note a couple of things before we move on. Um, this is the, the third time that Jesus has predicted his death. It happens in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. Um, and just a few little things to note in passing. One, one thing to note is how determined Jesus is to go to Jerusalem. The, the whole tone of Mark's gospel at this point, Jesus has decided, um, it says in Luke's gospel, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And there's this um, really intentional, deliberate, decisive um, commitment to go to Jerusalem, even though he knows 
what's waiting for him there. Um, he is determined to go to go to Jerusalem. So all the action is heading that way. Um, that's one thing to note. Um, another thing to note is that the, the, the disciples at this point just get up. Um, so the, it's, the, the image is all, it's kind of Jesus in the lead, charging towards Jerusalem. The disciples kind of stumbling along behind him, but kind of astonished and afraid and just wondering what is going on because they had started to realize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the king, but they haven't yet understood what kind of Messiah he is. They think he's going to bring in a kingdom of glory immediately. Um, and they don't understand all this talk about death. And so they're bewildered. They, they don't understand the kind of king that Jesus is. Um, and maybe just the one other thing to note um, at this point, um, just to ponder on and to wonder about. Um, Jesus doesn't, as he talks about going to Jerusalem, focus primarily on his physical suffering. And I always find this very interesting. We often tend to focus on the, the really awful, brutal, physical suffering of the cross. But often in the New Testament, that's not where the focus lies. Jesus focuses more here on the mockery and the public humiliation of what's going to happen. He says he is going to be mocked and spat upon and flogged and then killed. I think that's just something to, to wonder about and ponder. Uh, why does the emphasis kind of fall there uh, rather than on going, going into all the detail of the physical suffering? You can ponder that one uh, today. Uh, but let's read on. Um, then James John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, you kind of know you're in trouble um, at this point. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Um, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard, this, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, and Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to see. No, my clicker is just not going to work today, I think. So, Emily, I'm relying on you. Um, I, I want to start with that final verse um, that we read. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, the, the story of the cross takes up a large part of, of Mark to the extent that some people have sometimes said Mark is the story of the cross with a long introduction. 
that's uh, kind of the way the way the the story is told. Um, but in, uh, really, we could say this is the only place in Mark where we are told really clearly the purpose of the death of Jesus. And so this one verse is really important. We're told many times that Jesus is going to die. The story of his death is told over many chapters. But this is the verse where we are told the purpose, the goal of his death. Um, it's a beautiful one-sentence summary of the gospel. Um, I'd say it's a verse that is well worth learning by heart um, and storing in your heart um, as a summary of the gospel. Um, what does... Um, what does the language of a ransom convey? Um, uh, it's a metaphor that Jesus is using deliberately. What, what does it mean? Uh, a ransom was a price that was paid to release someone from slavery. Right? That's what a ransom was. It was paid when somebody was in captivity, was in slavery. A ransom was paid to deliver them, to bring them uh, into freedom uh, out of slavery. Um, if you know a little bit about church history or theology, you'll know people have sometimes got hung up on the question of who is the ransom paid to in this case? Is it paid to God or is it paid to the devil or how does that work exactly? But I think that's a little bit of a distraction and a confusion. Um, it's, it's a more simple thing that Jesus is saying. The, the death of Jesus is very costly because he gives his life, he gives everything. Um, he pours out his blood and the death of Jesus brings liberation it brings freedom that's, that's what the word ransom is conveying that this is really costly but that the effect of it is to bring those who are in captivity into freedom and so that one word is really powerful I think it conveys so much of the message of the gospel it, that Jesus in his death brings us out of slavery slavery to sin Slavery to death and the fear of death, slavery to the devil and all the powers of darkness, and into the freedom of the children of God. It sets the captives free. So when you hear the word ransom, it's a liberation word. It's a freedom word. And it reminds us of the cost of that liberation and that freedom. Um, and the verse also says, Jesus says, that he does that for many. Um, and I think that those two words are really powerful at the end, uh, for anyone who comes to him, anyone who looks to him, anyone who wants the freedom that he offers, um, there's, no, there's no limit uh, to how far this can go. It's for anyone who believes. It's for anyone who, who wants it. Um, the, the wine that we shared this morning, uh, Andrew reminded us, speaks of the blood of Jesus. And later on in Mark's gospel in chapter 14, it says his, it was poured out the same two words for many it's available for all who want it in Matthew's gospel it says it was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins and so um, this little verse kind of encouraging you not to skip past this one little verse in Mark um, is saying Jesus has paid the highest price imaginable of his own life so that we can be forgiven and set free from everything that holds us captive. And this forgiveness and freedom is available for many. It's avail available for you if you want it. If that's something you haven't responded to yet in your life, it's available this morning for you because he did it for many. Right. Um, so don't skip past that verse. Maybe that's the verse you need to go this afternoon and just reflect on. It's the gospel beautifully summarized 
um, in one little verse. But I want to turn and um, talk about James. We need to talk about James and John. Uh, and we need to talk about the question of what were they thinking, <laughs> right? This is what I, I would love to, to think about with you this morning. Um, it's worth saying, before we, we pick on James and John, um, it's worth saying um, in, in Mark's gospel, every time Jesus predicts his death, his disciples immediately say something stupid. Right? <laughs> every, every single time he predicts his death, they say something really stupid. And you can go back and check, but chapter 8, he predicts his death for the first time. Peter tries to talk him out of it, saying, this will, you're not going to the cross. This is not going to happen. The second time, chapter 9, he predicts his death, and the disciples decide to start debating which of them is the greatest. That's, that's their next move. Third time, he predicts his death. James and John, you know what we've been thinking? Can we sit on your right and on your left when we come to glory? Um, so there's something to ponder about the stupidity of disciples, and I'm talking about us as well. Um, I, I, I was trying to wrestle during the week with what, what is the kindest interpretation of James and John before we try and be too hard on them. Um, maybe the kindest interpretation is this, that there is something in James and John that they want to be close to Jesus, right? They want to be near the action. They, they believe that close to Jesus is where everything good is to be found and they want to be near the center of the action and they're maybe even ready to take up some responsibility so maybe when they say we want to be your right and left hand man they're ready for some responsibility in the kingdom so I'm trying to be really generous to them here that's the kindest interpretation but it does kind of seem like the heart of their request is a bit less noble than that um, if Jesus is the king and Jesus is bringing this new kingdom, they want, to be make, they want to make sure they get good seats, right? They're concerned about their status. They want to be in a place of honor and a place of importance. They want to be visibly in the important seats, in the good seats. Um, they want to be sitting in the hall of fame where the world's going to know their name, right? That's their desire. They want to be in that place where the, the, the spotlight um, sh that shines on Jesus also shines a little bit on them. Um, and we've got to say immediately, that desire is very human and it's in all of us, right? Let's not be too hard on James and John. It's in every single one of us. Um, but it is also spiritually disastrous. Um, and we can't say that too strongly. And Jesus speaks against it in the strongest possible terms. And I want to try and make sure that we hear the strength of it this morning because it is a spiritual disaster when we get, get seduced by that desire for the, the limelight and the spotlight and the best seats in the house. So let's push into it. Um, first of all, Jesus speaks of a cup. If we can put the next slide. Um, he actually, he speaks of a cup and a baptism and he's again speaking in picture language and metaphors. He says to them, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And again, um, partly because Jesus is speaking poetically, James and John don't seem to get it. Um, and they sort of say, a cup sounds fine. Yes, yes, a baptism, that sounds fine. We're, we're ready to drink a cup. We're ready to be baptized. Um, that's fine. Um, but I think it seems pretty clear Jesus is speaking here of a cup of suffering. 
and a baptism that involves death and burial. That's what Jesus is speaking about. James and John don't realize in this moment that's what he's speaking of. And that's why I think Jesus says to them, they say, yes, we're up for it. We're up for the cup. We're up for the baptism. And Jesus says, you will drink the cup and you will share the baptism. Um, James, we know from the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 12, James would go on to be one of the first Christian martyrs who would give his life for his faith. So again, let's not be too hard on James. He got it wrong in this moment. But when the time of testing and persecution came, James was ready to lay down his life um, rather than deny his faith in Jesus. Um, John, his brother, as far as we know, went on to live a long life. Tradition says um, he he lived a long life and was the only one of the the apostles not to be martyred. It is an extraordinary thing just to to, to comment on. Um, But John would see a lot of suffering in his life. Um, He would see his friends, his brother killed. Um, Almost certainly he spent time in prison. He saw the church scattered by persecution uh, to other parts of the world. He ended up exiled on the island of Patmos. It was a long life, but he drank the cup of suffering um, in in his life. And so Jesus says, you will drink the cup. You will be baptized um, with that baptism. Um, But James and John need to understand, and maybe this morning we need to understand. um, If we're saying, I want to be close to Jesus, um, it's not going to be a path of ease and comfort and glory. Um, It's going to be a path involving suffering. Um, Paul calls it in Philippians, and in an extraordinary phrase, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Right? The fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And there will be, on the Christian path, all kinds of comfort and encouragement and blessing and victory and glory. But mixed in with it, there will also be the cup of suffering. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you wish for. If you want to be close to Jesus... This is part of the fellowship that you're going to share in. Um, And Jesus underlines that, I think, um, by saying, and people have debated this, Jesus says, the the places on my right and my left, um, he says, have already been allocated. And people have debated what this means. Um, It could be a way of speaking of the seating arrangements in heaven, that that those have already been allocated. Um, I think that's quite unlikely, that that's what Jesus was referring to. I think much more likely, if we can put up the next slide, um, Jesus is speaking again of his death, where there will be one on his right and one on his left. Um, And those places have already been allocated. And again, James and John don't know of what they speak when they speak of being on his right and on his left. Be careful what you, you ask for. So there's the first kind of very direct um, response of Jesus to their desire for the limelight and the spotlight on the hall of fame, um, the cup of suffering, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering um, is part of what it means to, to follow Jesus. Um, secondly, um, Jesus gathers his disciples around him because um, the, the other 10 are not very happy with James and John, uh, as you can, you can understand. And Jesus gathers them all for a little bit of a group huddle and Let's talk about some really basic, important things about discipleship. Um, And Jesus here speaks of two very different kinds of leadership. 
Um, if we can put up the next slide. Um, the first one is the way of the world, um, the way that leadership is often exercised in our world. Uh, Jesus says the rulers of the Gentiles, it's a way of speaking of the normal way of ruling and leadership and exercising authority in our world is that the, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over people. It's not a really um, vivid, evocative, juicy phrase. They lord it over people. They, they enjoy that feeling of power and control and being in charge of people and telling people what to think and telling people what to do. They lord it over people. Um, and I don't want to re really dwell on that. I think you don't have to look very far to find examples of that in every part of our society, um, in politics, in business, in families even, in every kind of human institution, sadly in churches as well. We find leadership that lords it over those that are under authority. Um, but I want to zoom in on these words. We can put the next slide. slide. Um, I, they're some of the most emphatic words that Jesus speaks. He says, not so with you. Not so with you. Right? And I, those are the words that I want to suggest kind of need to ring in our ears if we're going to hear the word of God this morning. We need to hear Jesus emphatically saying to us, getting us in a huddle as disciples and saying, this is the way leadership might be in our world and that you see everywhere, but not so with you. Um, Jesus is calling us to a completely different way of leading and living, a completely different way, a radically different way, a shockingly different way, a noticeably different way of leading and living. Um, and what is it? Let's put up the next slide. It is all about servanthood. Jesus says, instead, instead of that way, whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to be a leader, whoever wants to have influence, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. It's really stark language. You've got to willingly choose to become the servant of all, the slave of all. Uh, and whenever we live and lead in that way, we will be following in the footsteps of Jesus because he is the servant king. He is the crucified Messiah who didn't come to be served but to serve and who gave his life so that we could be set free as we've talked about already, who came all the way down so that we could be lifted up, right? That's the only way. Um, if we're saying, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I want to be an apprentice of Jesus, it's the crucified Messiah that we follow. It's the, it's the servant king that we follow. And so for the last number of minutes, I want to think about, let's bring this really down to earth and think, what does this, this mean for us in practice? And I want to think about two areas of application, right? And the first one is this. First one is about who will we follow and who will we listen to? And then we'll think about another one um, in a moment. Um, as, I, as I've thought about this passage, I, I think this is a, a really, really like urgently needed word for this moment in our culture. Um, we're living through, as we've, we've talked about many times, and uh, everyone seems to be talking about, we're living through a time of great instability in our world. Um, and we could talk about Brexit and COVID and cost of living crisis and wars 
in many parts of the world and climate change and all kinds of things that are going on in our world, but that make it feel like things are very uncertain and very unstable. Um, and those who kind of are observers of culture and um, commentate on culture, one of the things that they note is that, um, and you can see this even all through history, whenever you live through uncertain times and unstable times, we often find that we are drawn to leaders who are very confident and very decisive and very black and white and very direct. We actually end up being drawn to a more authoritarian kind of leadership because it makes us feel a little bit safer. And so psychologists talk about this and sociologists talk about this and cultural commentators and historians have observed this. So when the world is very shaky, you get these leaders rising up who are populists and authoritarians and very black and white and very direct and very blunt. Um, and you can debate whether that's wise or not. It's, it's very human to be drawn to that. Um, but I guess the thing that I want to sort of make sure uh, we, we think about very directly this morning is when that, that cultural trend of being drawn or a little bit, a little bit drawn towards leaders who are of that kind, um, whenever that leaks into the church, it is spiritually disastrous. Um, and I, do, I don't want to hang back from saying this quite strongly this morning, that one of the characteristics, I think, of our age is the rise of many Christian leaders and voices who are of that kind, who are very confident that they are right about everything, and very certain and very black and white, and who are very happy to tell you exactly what to think about everything and exactly what to do about everything, and ready to denounce anyone who disagrees with them about anything as a heretic and call people names left, right, and center. And through the wonders of technology and social media and YouTube, they can speak to a global audience and they can speak right into your ear <laughs> where your headphone is. And they can speak right into your house and right into your bedroom. Um, and so I think this question is really important. As Jesus talks about two kinds of leadership, who will we follow? Who will we listen to? Jesus said many times, you will know people by their fruit. And I think he was speaking of the quality of their character and their life. Um, and so here's what I want to say, and I know I'm saying it quite uh, directly. Um, the people we, as we think about the people we listen to in our ear, if their way of leading is arrogant and swaggering and sneering and bullying and domineering, if they do not have this heart of a servant that Jesus is talking about, this humility and self-giving love which we see in Jesus, then we need to shut the laptop and run a mile, right? And I want to say it even stronger. I want to say, even if everything they are saying is true, which is very unlikely, right? But even if everything they're saying is true, we will be infected by their heart and character as we listen. We become like the people we sit under and listen to. Um, and so we need to really think as people of God, as disciples of Jesus, you know, where do we get our definition of a strong leader? Where do we get our idea of what bold and confident leadership is? We don't get it from the world. We get it from the servant king. We, 
In this time in our world, we need leaders and teachers who speak the truth boldly, but we need them to do it in the way of Jesus. We need them to carry the aroma of the servant king. That's, a, I think, an urgent and desperate thing for our time. Um, Jesus is the one with all authority in heaven and earth. And yet, how does he lead? He came all the way down. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even the death of a cross, the death of a slave. And this is the one we follow. And we can't represent Jesus in the world unless we do it in that way. Um, do you remember Jesus um, in John 13? Um, it says, Jesus knew he had come from the Father and was returning to the Father. I love that. It's saying Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He was absolutely confident in who he was. What does a confident leader look like? Right? How did he show it? Because he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. It says he got up and he took off his cloak and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he got down and he washed the sweaty, hairy, smelly feet of his disciples and then he said, you do the same. Right? I've shown you the way to walk. Right? Um, I hope you'll hear that word um, in its directness. Um, um, uh, it's one that I feel really deeply. Um, but let me make one last one last. Um, Second application, and this is really important. Let's put up the final. Yeah, there's the final slide. Um, we need to not only think about who will I follow and who will I listen to, but we need to think about who can I serve? Whose feet can I wash? Um, uh, and I'd love us to, just for the last couple of minutes, think about that really practically. Um, uh, that's the question, really, in the end, I'd love you to carry into the week with you uh, and really be looking around you and asking, um, as you go about your life, um, whose feet can I wash this week? Who can I, who can I serve? Um, that may be about doing the humble task which no one wants to do, <laughs> right? And which doesn't get the spotlight or the limelight at all, which doesn't get any praise or attention or glory. Um, and one of the things I wanted to say was even just thinking about church life here in MCF, um, which is just one part of our lives, but... Um, I'm so grateful for people in MCF um, who do those tasks, um, who put out chairs for Sunday morning, who cut up the bread into little pieces, who pour the wine into the cups, who make tea and coffee, um, who wash mugs in our tiny little kitchen upstairs. Um, when I'm in my office up there uh, during the week, I get to hear people clinking and clanking, um, washing mugs endlessly from various activities that are going on, uh, but doing it joyfully chatting and singing and uh, I don't know if they sing as they do it but they, they sound joyful as they do it um, people who look after the littlest children and crash um, people who stay and clean up after an evening evening event when everybody else has gone home um, so many other little things um, I'm really grateful for a legacy of servant leadership in MCF that's come down from those who've led before I'm really grateful for leaders in MCF who have been just as happy to do those things that I've listed as to do anything up front in the spotlight. Um, and maybe I do want to say, as the, the current elders were away uh, on a retreat this weekend, and this was one of the things we talked about, was that we're really aware of that legacy and that it's something we want to guard um, and we, we want to keep each other accountable to say, keep your ego, as Tim Brown likes to say, keep your ego in your boots 
Um, this is a place where those who lead have got to lead as servants. Um, but it's not just in the church. I don't want you to take it as the only place we do this is in the church, but it's in everyday life. There are a thousand opportunities to choose to take the low place and to serve others in love and to wash someone's feet. And so I just want to encourage you um, as you go around this week, keep your eyes open. Who, who can I serve? Where can I joyfully choose to do the thing that nobody wants to do and that'll never get noticed and never get any praise, but I'm doing it because I'm walking in the way of the servant king. Um, and, and, and also it's worth saying this, whenever, again, when we think about church life, when you do get a chance to do something in the spotlight, um, to take on a leadership role or to lead a ministry, um, even if you get a chance to get up and share in the open time and so for a moment you're in this little spotlight, um, it's worth constantly checking our hearts and asking, why am I doing this? And ask, am I doing it to seek honour like James and John? Um, am I doing it because I enjoy lording it over others? I like that feeling of power. Um, or am I doing it because I want to serve? I want to encourage others. I want to see others lifted up. And am I doing it with that heart? And I think we've got to constantly check our hearts uh, for that. The, the last thing I want to say, um, I find myself thinking about there's a delightful phrase in Romans 12 uh, where Paul says we should take delight in honouring one another. Um, so instead of seeking the place of honour ourselves, we should take delight in honouring others, lifting others up, wanting them to be in the, the spotlight. Um, in one other version, it says, outdo one another in showing honour. And I kind of like that because it seems to be saying in some kind of playful way, there's almost, we're almost to be playfully competitive in saying, can we outdo one another in um, taking the humble place, uh, in serving one another? Um, and there's something in there in the word delight as well that speaks of joy. And that's the note I kind of want to end on, that actually... There's no joy in the world's competitiveness when you stand on other people and lord it over other people and elbow other people out of the way to get your 15 minutes of fame. There's no joy in that. You can get to the top and you find there's nothing there and it tastes bitter in your mouth and lonely. Um, but there's joy to be found in the way of Jesus, in choosing to take the low place and to serve others in love and in giving your life away to see others lifted up. And so I, I hear an invitation to playful delight and saying, where, where are the opportunities where we can do that? Um, and it's, we're having fellowship with Jesus as we do it. Um, we're walking in the way um, of the crucified Messiah, of the servant king. Um, keep your eyes open this week. There'll be lots of chances to do it this week uh, if we keep our eyes open. Um, so let's, let's pray together. Um, I want to just remind you, um, if you have anything going on in your heart and life where you really need someone to pray with you this morning, again, you can grab the person beside you or someone near you, um, but there'll be a couple of people up here at the front. Uh, they would really love to pray with you uh, before you go home today, so do, do grab that opportunity. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, we're just, we're really aware um, 
this humble way of Jesus um, doesn't come naturally to us. We are by nature like James and John. Um, and we want to be honored and we want to be noticed and we want to be praised and we want to be in the best seats. And so we want to pray this morning, would you forgive us? Um, when we want to push in front of other people and ahead of other people, when we want to get the biggest slice of the cake. Um, Father, we pray uh, you would humble us. We pray where our hearts get puffed up and proud, um, you would do whatever it takes to um, stop us in our tracks and to humble us. Um, we're just, we're really aware this morning that our world, our world desperately needs um, people who carry the aroma of Jesus. Um, and the church in our world desperately needs to not only be proclaiming the message of Jesus, but also walking in the way of Jesus. Um, and Father, thank you for so many people in this room um, who practice this way all the time. And I'm just really grateful, but we need you constantly <laughs> to draw us back to this way, and um, we, we want to walk this way more faithfully, more constantly. Um, Father, teach us the delight um, of laying down our lives for others. Um, teach us the joy. Um, of saying, I'm happy to be overlooked if others are blessed and encouraged. Um, Father, would you show us this week the opportunities to serve others in love, to take the humble place. Um, and Father, we, I pray that as we do that, um, the aroma of Christ would spread in our neighborhood, in our community, in our workplaces, in our families. And people would not only hear the truth of Jesus, but they would see the beauty of Jesus and be drawn to him. Um, we can't do this by ourselves. Would you pour your spirit into us and give us a heart like Jesus? Lead us in your love to those around us. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our servant king. Amen. <clears throat>